Welcome to They Get It. My name's Kelsey, and my co-host Emma and I love direct-to-consumer brands. Whether it's an amazing customer experience or a really killer social strategy, this podcast will feature the brands and founders who just get it. All right, we're back. We back. Our second episode back in the swing of things because we took a little break. We did. We needed to rest, recharge, and most importantly, head to the West Coast. Yes, 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 we did. Oh my gosh, like a vacation. The first time in like 18 months. <laughs> Who is she? Yeah, yeah, we actually, me and Kelsey are so in sync that we both just like impromptu books trips to Vancouver at the same time and we got to yeah. hang out and oh my gosh it was it was literally like the funniest timing in the world um my boyfriend had just quit his job and we had like a really short window before things were ramping up with me at work where we could just take a week off and so I, I'm pretty sure I can't really remember the dates because this whole like month has been a blur but yeah. I'm pretty sure we like booked on a Monday we left on a Saturday it was super quick and then you and I were chatting like the Tuesday and you had just so happened to book a trip almost at the exact same time yeah because I also quit my job so there hello you Okay, our audience doesn't know all of this. Why did you quit, Emma? Yes, why did I quit? It's a great question. Um, I think the main thing that would sum it up is, I mean, we kind of talked about this in our career uncertainty episode, so (laughs) maybe that was foreshadowing. Literally foreshadowing. If anyone (laughs) was closely listening, this is not a surprise to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But um, as I was saying in that episode, like I've just had, so much on the go. I've been working full time. I've been doing a master's. I've been doing the podcast and I loved all of those things to be honest, but it kind of got to the point where like something's got to give. And I think even just like from a lot of the conversations we have on this podcast, it's like focus is such, um, it can be such a game changer if you really put your focus on something. And I think I was just spread too thin that I wasn't able to give, you know, put my all into any one thing. And Mm -hmm it's hard when you're like kind of a multi-hyphenate and you have a lot of interest. And I think there's a lot of people like that. Um, so yeah, I pulled the trigger and I quit my job. And- she gone. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you was a busy gal. Okay. You had yeah. a lot on the go. You were working crazy hours amidst a lockdown when there really is no like outlet or release and you're just working constantly. It's, it's a lot to take on. So I think this yeah. next chapter is going to be a fun one. Yeah, I think so. I think totally like throughout the pandemic, I got really focused on like achieving things and I did a lot of great things that I probably wouldn't have done if it wasn't for a pandemic, but I also didn't get to have very much fun. I was just doing a lot of like things to move myself forward in one way or another. And I'm ready to take a break and have some fun and see what happens. Mm. Do school, do the podcast, do some traveling. It's, um, yeah. I mean, you just you just crossed Vancouver off of your list. Where to next? I think Los Angeles. Why did I say Um, weird? Los Angeles. It's actually a lozenger. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I was I was trying to do something there, and you were trying to be an LA girl. I was trying to be like Los Angeles, and no. (laughs) Well, either way, I think you can go down there and other people can teach you how to say Los Angeles. It'll be fine. And just go chill by a pool and live your best life. Yeah, I'm an ocean gal now. Like, I got a taste here in Vancouver and keep me by the ocean and don't and let me not do a job. Yeah. Work. Oh, my gosh. um, Yeah. Where are you two next? Where are you off to next? Literally the dream. I mean, Ocean girl to now ocean girl. This ocean girl's headed back to the ocean, unfortunately. Yeah. Maybe and not unfortunately. I shouldn't listen or I shouldn't say that to all of our Atlantic listeners, but probably headed back to see the parents on the East Coast at some point. And then I think, I don't know this yet, but I think I want to do somewhere in the Mediterranean for uh, my next actual trip. Yes. Yeah. Hell to the yes. I am just so <laughs> excited to be traveling. Like, Oh. she's double-vaxxed she's unemployed oh get her gosh. on a plane oh my gosh what a dream what a dream <laughs> I will say I sat between two extremely uh hot 
large, heavy breathing people on the airplane. And I had never been happier to be in that exact location. Oh, I thought you were meaning like hot isn't attractive, but no. Oh, no, 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 no. Like raising body temperature somehow. Okay. That's what happened. Okay. Anyways. Well, I think I'm you know going what? down a rabbit hole. Rabbit holes are good. Sometimes. But we should maybe, you know, get into the episode. This one is, it was a great conversation. Oh my gosh. They were so fun. Like these are the type of people if we could do in-person recordings right now, 100% would do that. I feel like yeah. they'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I feel like all our guests, but yes, these these folks too. Absolutely. Really cool insight on the creator economy, the future of it, creators building brands, and just like what goes into building a brand. And mm-hmm. I loved that they had a long-term view of like, there's no shortcuts. You do have to check all the boxes and we help you do that. And we want your input. I, I really liked their whole like ethos. Oh yeah. Yeah. Two mm-hmm. smart cookies on the line. We asked yeah. them a ton of questions. This is a bit of a longer episode than we typically do, but it was just too good to stop. We couldn't we do it. We were rolling. Yeah. We were rolling. <laughs> okay. Well with that, we won't waste any more time now. Let's get right into it. Let's do it. Welcome back to another episode. Today we have Rowan Aaron with us from Pietra. I'm super excited to have you both here. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having thanks us. Thanks so for having us. So excited. Awesome. So um, Ro and Aaron are both founding members of the Pietra team. Um, Ro is one of the co-founders and Aaron works in operations and also has her own line. So we have so many questions we want to dive into today, but I think to start off, Ro, I would love to just hear where this idea came from and and how you got it off the ground. Yeah, wow, it's a it's kind of a fun little story of of you know being in startup land, but um, you know the roots of this idea came from my time in working in San Francisco, working in tech. You know, I in 2015 I joined Uber, uh, which was such an awesome ride. Uh, And one thing that I learned when I was in San Francisco is if you are in, you know, Silicon Valley or the Bay Area and you're a tech entrepreneur or you have an idea, um, it was kind of remarkable to see a city that has a community and the infrastructure to support, you know, bringing those ideas to life. And Mm -hmm. I used to to be so, you know, uh, so surprised by this idea where if you're sitting in a conference room one day with an idea on how to build the next, you know, the next big company, uh, you can snap your fingers and talk to a few people. And within a week you have everything from, you know, funding to your data center set up to like an app template that you can use to get your company off the ground. And just like everything about living in San Francisco is about helping people start these businesses. And I'm from the East Coast. You know, I'm, I was born and raised in Toronto. Ah. And yeah, and you go back to the East, like to the East Coast, or I go back home and I'm talking to all my friends who are uh, more on the creative side. And they'll say stuff like, I'm trying to get my watch brand off the ground and it's been mm-hmm. a couple of years, or I'm trying to launch a denim line and it's, you know, been really hard to do for the last eight months. And I was so surprised. I was like, it's so funny because like those things are... Uh, you know, we think are, are solved for the world. And, and really it's like, oh, actually just the San Francisco kind of ecosystem was, was built around tech entrepreneurs. So mm. when we started Pietra, um, it was really under this, th- or through this lens of how can we make it so that creative entrepreneurs, just like tech entrepreneurs, feel supported, have the tools, have the resources to be able to bring, you know, an idea you have with your friend over dinner to life. Um, mm-hmm. and the more we got into it and the more we started building it, we started in, you know, we were a pretty small company when we started and we just helped, uh, we started in jewelry, um, and helping creators start their own jewelry lines. We've scaled up from there. Um, and the more you get into it, the more you realize that there's so much infrastructure that needs to be built to help, you know, really creative people bring their ideas to life. And when you do that, amazing things happen. Like they get to keep ownership of their company. Um, they get to keep, you know, creative control as well as financial control, which is not often something that happens when you're, you know, a creator um, right. and you're doing brand partnerships. And so all we're now in the state of, and this is a rant, but we're now in the state of like, 
we've built the platform. We provide the tools that allow people to bring their ideas to, to life, whether it's a single you know, piece of merch all the way to like a skincare line that can be sold in like a Sephora. And we are just here to support people's ideas and build the tools and the infrastructure so they feel like when I have an idea, when I want to do something, I can actually make it happen instead of, you know, previous to Pietra, if you were in the Lower East Side and you wanted to start your sneaker line, it was a very winding, windy path to like mm -hmm. have that be a reality. Um, and most people give up. And now we like to say, you know, within 90 days, you can be a business owner and you can start growing mm -hmm. your brand, um, which is very exciting. Yeah, you are speaking my language. My background is in e-commerce and creator marketing or influencer marketing. And so you are literally marrying both of those worlds. What's your like elevator pitch? If someone were to come up to you and say, hey, I've never heard of Pietra before. What do you do? What's your response? Good question. Um, in a single sentence, I would say we build the tools to allow a single creator to launch and scale the next best-selling product line. And we do that by building the tools to make sourcing and development easier and setting up your business so that you can sell online easier. Love it. I mean, like your, first of all, your website is beautiful. So kudos to you, but you look at it and like, I think you do a really great job of not, not scaring creators, but helping them acknowledge like how much goes into building a brand. It's not like you just have coffee with your friend one morning. You're like, oh, I'm going to start a candle company. And then boom, it's up by that afternoon. Like that's so unrealistic, but I just don't think people understand how much goes into it. When a creator decides that they want to start working with you, how do you help them navigate like the first steps in that actual rollout plan to launch? That's a, that's a great question. And I think, you know, it comes from our first principles of how we built the company. And as you go through the process, you'll see this infused every step of the way, which is the first thing we do is we remind the creator, right? If we're, if we're talking to them, which is like, this is your company that you're building. And we are not here to push you in a direction you don't want to be pushed. We're here to help mm -hmm. educate you and then make these hopefully super simple tools um, that feel more like a step-by-step -step guide than a this is what you should do to guarantee yourself to be successful. And, and so we, you know, we, we try and balance this, like you said, we, we try and balance this idea of information overload because there is actually a lot of steps that go into making a brand. And then we balance that by trying to speak the creator's language um, and not trying to add too much fluff around it. Right. And so, so one of the things that, that we realize is, is like you said, people might come to the platform and say, I would like to start a coffee brand and for whatever preconceived notions they have, whatever they think they see on Instagram or TikTok, they might actually feel like this should be something you could do in an afternoon. And from mm -hmm. a, you know, product design perspective, it's kind of interesting in, in itself is a design challenge to say, not only do I have to convey that there's like a few steps you have to go through some of which include like testing out different samples of coffee beans and, you know, figuring out what your brand stands for and deciding to work with a supplier that resonates with you. Um, and, and doing that in a way that doesn't discourage people because it is, you know, not easy in like the, in the most basic terms, right? Like you really need to be motivated. You really want to, you should be um, someone who's willing to put in the time to make this work. And so, the last thing I'll say is something we do very explicitly is we do not try and hide steps in the process that educate the creator who wants to like launch a successful business, right? That's something we did in the early days and we got, you know, really, really good feedback, which is we thought we could just say like, you want a coffee brand, like close your eyes and we'll take care of all of the stuff. You have to answer like a questionnaire and your brand will be there on the other side. Right. And, and here's like the amazing feedback that we got, which is like, you're talking to sometimes these like really young, ambitious, awesome women entrepreneurs who are like 20 in Los Angeles and they have like a million followers or something. Right. And they're like, no, I want to build a real brand. And I want it to be an earnings opportunity for myself in 10 years when I stop making content. And I'm going mm -hmm. to NYU next year. And I'm like, wow, you're, you're actually like ready. And so we said, okay, instead of trying to like do some hocus pocus, how about we just help you like and educate you along the way where we're like, if you're someone who doesn't want, if you want to take all shortcuts, right. We almost say like, 
this platform is probably not going to be one for you because like, it's, it's just not one that you can, when you're launching a brand, you want to take a lot of shortcuts and you won't be successful. Um, most likely you probably won't have the best product that comes out of it. And so we try to make it where if you use our product, you're probably going to be someone who's motivated to start and, uh, willing to kind of put in, you know, the effort and, and Aaron could speak to this cause she's the, you know, I think the biggest misconception mm-hmm. is that building a brand is easy and it's quick mm-hmm. <laughs> and in reality, it's more like, no, it's methodical and you have to really have a unique point of view. And if you do, you can be successful like Aaron, um, yeah. but you can't fake it. You can't be inauthentic and just like speed through the process and hope that you're going to be successful. That's just like, you know, not, uh, not what we see, uh, the best creators do. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's like you can go on AliExpress and dropship cheap products and like maybe make a quick buck by throwing a bunch of Facebook ads behind it, but that's not going to build you a long-term sustainable brand. And especially if you already have an audience, like that can really tarnish your reputation with your audience and you don't want to do that. So I think, yeah, it's like you always get what you put into it. Um, So Aaron, I'm interested to hear um, you recently launched your swimwear line through this. Um, where, like, what were the biggest things that Pietra helped with that you maybe didn't know how to approach? Totally. So I can walk you kind of through the whole process of being a creator. It's been such a fun process for me. Um, exactly one year ago today during quarantine time is when I learned how to sew. So definitely like a pretty quick turnaround into launch. Um, to be where I'm at now, like, and that's solely just because of Pietra. I mean, like I was picking up the sewing machine and watching YouTube and trying to figure it out from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really interesting is when you kind of start something, you start to build that idea, get that excitement. Um, you have time to kind of understand who your brand's going to be and build that up. And I started, you know, just making custom swimsuits for my friends and the demand grew. And I started to kind of translate it from, you know, the hobby into something and like this could actually be something and making that transition in myself. Um, and then we, I was thinking, how am I going to scale this? Like, what do I do? So that starts with just Googling and finding from there and like, what are my options out there? And honestly, it was very limited. I think a lot of things that are discouraging to people in my position is you kind of have this thought process of, I like know what I want, what that final product endpoint is, but I don't know how to start. Like, I don't know where, mm-hmm. you know, what's the first step in this whole process. Um, I started to talk to different, like smaller manufacturers and the, the price was too aggressive or this part didn't work or that part didn't work. And I wasn't like at all able to compare any of them together. And then Pietro was kind of the one platform where I could start with step A and then go to step B and step C and step D. Um, So it really gave you access to a network and a service that isn't really out there right now. Um, So that's something that's really exciting and to continue to watch it grow, especially from my perspective. Um, So I started, they have, um, or we have a connection to all these different suppliers and it's really interesting for someone starting out to be able to kind of compare them and see what's out there, really grow that connection with your supplier. And then from a swimmer perspective, work on your styles, create your samples, test them out and really be central in the creation of each of your products. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people kind of keep their heads at. It's like the development of the product. But what I find really interesting too is getting your product, you know, through that one step of creation, but then you have a lot more things to tackle so you have to tackle your packaging and how are you shipping it and what does your website look like and I think Pietra does kind of what Ro was saying we're not shying away from showing you all those different aspects but we're helping you kind of get your head in the right spot so tackle this piece first get your suppliers in order and then we're going to help you connect to a packager we'll fix that up and then we're going to move into shipping so I feel like it allows you to take kind of this one gigantic thing that's so hard to tackle and break it down into pieces that you can actually achieve by yourself. You Mm -hmm. have this team behind you that's going to take you from shipping to warehousing to fulfillment, um, which are all things that as a small business are really going to be difficult for you. So I think it takes things that 
were kind of really manual for me, like packaging and shipping from my own house. And now that I have this infrastructure kind of set up for me, every collection from now on is just going to be automated with my Pietro system. And as I grow, I can continue to grow and grow and scale as much as possible. And I feel like I have this like confidence and empowerment as an entrepreneur to do that through the platform. Wow. If you weren't already part of Pietra, I would say you definitely have to be, but it just sounds like such a good <laughs> yes. fit. I have a, a very naive question for, I don't know, maybe both of you. Um, oh, yeah. I look at someone like a Lauren Everts or like these big, big influencers who come out with their own brands. Is it easy to generate sales when you have strong following? Like, Does your viewership translate into purchases? Oh, this is my favorite question to answer um, <laughs> because because I think uh, because of the answer. Um, I don't think that from from what I've seen that audience size correlates to successful branding sales, mm. um, which I think is actually very inspiring to everyone else in the world <laughs> is how I think about it. Okay, which is like I I think what we have seen as a company and as studying the industry is what drives sales is when you create something that's authentic to yourself and your audience mm -hmm. and you cannot fake authenticity almost by definition. Yeah. Um, and so the most successful creators are not ones that are being approached for these multi-million dollar deals where their name and likeness is used. Mm -hmm. Actually now it's like 2021, right? Like it's, we've been in the social media world for a long time. We're seeing that people can very, very quickly spot inauthentic products and brands. And the people that are the most successful are actually the ones that are taking their, their audience through the process of starting the company. And Aaron's did that really, really well, right? Which is like, People want to see that you're making patterns, you're picking fabrics, mm -hmm. you're yeah, doing Instagram polls when people, when people are asking for like, should I go in this direction or this direction? And so by the time you launch your product or your brand, you have this almost friend type connection with your first customers. And they're like, oh, I was part of like the creation process. I want to like participate in this community and this product. And so I will end by saying like that to me, tells me that like this game is not going to be won by the top you know 0.001 percent of people in fact i think the people that we're going to find over the long term are the most successful and these like super enduring brands are going to be built on this like this loyal customer base that has never existed in the past you know decade or so which is like if you look at like my favorite creator-led brands or even my favorite brands that i shop right now I have like a weirdly strong, you know, like bond to that brand, mm -hmm. <laughs> like more so than any product or brand that I've ever shopped for in my life, like when I was a kid. And I'm like, no, I don't know. It's like something about social media and I like follow them every day. It's like, you know, that this, this is when you get this, like, I'll stand in line for these shoes and you're only going to make 500 of them. And like, you know, that becomes a much more powerful, stronger brand if you could develop that connection with your audience and you know, some people can do it like, like at the top of the, at the top of the spectrum, but the vast majority of people should be, I think, inspired by, we've seen people with almost no following outsell people who have millions of followers. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, and it's like really cool to see that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have to ask, like it, it is really cool to see that, but fundamentally they must be working harder to get the same amount of eyeballs or more eyeballs to their sites. Are people like the, the influencers and creators you're working with, are they also investing heavily in paid social ads or in other creator marketing? Like how does the actual customer acquisition take place? Yeah. Good, good question. Um, so they definitely are. And I would say, uh, it is one advantage that someone has with a massive audience is, of course, they can get their product out in front of more people. And the more people you get it. So, so if you do create a unique, awesome product um, and you get it in front of enough people, you're going to drive sales and it's going to be a, a, you know, a success. Um, what we see is this, the, the smaller creators, um, they have a tighter bond with their, with their audience and mm -hmm. their audience might be their first customers. 
and they 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 have to continue to cultivate their audience and grow their brand just like any other brand that would need to exist at some point you saturate your audience right and and you have to go above and beyond and they start doing really creative things and i think the one thing that we've seen is like i i still think this idea of like okay let's turn on paid social and like run some instagram ads i feel like that is the default path for someone who's already a big you know celebrity mm-hmm. and where i see the real creativity is when you get someone with you know 10,000 followers or 30,000 followers being like i don't want to spend money on paid ads how do i match my content to my commerce mm. right and so and so like that's when the true creativity happens like i remember i was talking to one creator she's so awesome she's so smart her name's Haley sunny on youtube and she was like in order for me to decide what to do next or what product category i'm going to do a type of like i'm going to do a like a video or a couple of videos and see the engagement on the different types of content. And so it's like this Trojan horse, like research, right. And I'm like, Oh, and she's like, yeah, the clothing haul videos of like this style work. Like I'm going to start with like loungewear. And I was like, wow, this to me is like real creativity using content on social media to build your brand. And Mm. you know, it's not the, the default path. And, And what's interesting about that is like the bigger you get, you're not even really in control of your brand. So you have like usually some, operating company or something that's taking a huge percent of your profits and they're also running it like they would run a brand 10 years ago yep right and mm-hmm. so it's more like that standard path and, and again i think the real innovation and like creativity is coming from the smaller people who are like i have this captive audience and they watch my content how can i make content both you know great for my brand but then also not like too salesy and that's you know that's that's a type of innovation okay. you should give them credit for it yeah, I agree. Or just kind of to jump into, I think more just like the entrepreneurial aspect, regardless of your level of followers. So um, Ro just mentioned Haley having a very large following on YouTube versus someone like me or some of our um, other creators who are much smaller. Just having that entrepreneurial thread and that like need and want to grow your business and kind of have an authentic voice, I think is something that really stays true to Pietra and success regardless of your follower rate so as we like continue to grow just finding those people on the platform that are going to be trying to grow their business for life is like a real true target customer Um, and we're excited to help them grow those um, product lines because they're going to keep coming back like I'm already you know planning my next collection and same with you know Haley or whoever they're like on to growing that business fully um, so I think that's kind of another common thread in there too. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so interesting. And I think really creators are entrepreneurs. The only difference I think of where Pietra comes in is you're actually helping them be entrepreneurs of product companies rather than like their own kind of media conglomerate in a sense. So totally. I think totally. it, it makes a lot of sense. You probably find a lot of people who are, they do have that entrepreneurial spirit um, and they just need help figuring out, you know, the details. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how your business model works and how you set that up and, and kind of thought about it? Yeah, totally. Um, I think, I mean, we, we spent a long time thinking about uh, our business model and, and how we build this business. And again, it really comes from our first principle stance on like how to build this business is we want to make sure that creators have as much control and financial um, freedom from using our products, whatever we build, as we possibly can have, right? And so one of the things we we have done is we've tried all the different business models out there. And the one that has worked very successfully or very well for us um, has been a success is the one that is the most flexible and one that is you pay for the infrastructure that you're using. And so that is a very, you know, uh, tech first concept, I would say, which is like, like you pay exactly for the number of times you hit this database, you know, or something like that. And so we took that over to, to like product development in our platform. We say, look, you're not locked into the platform at all. If at any point in time you want to stop in the middle of product development process and for example, not use our fulfillment centers or our warehouses and just do it from your house or your kitchen or your living room. You always have a way to, to, to do that. 
um, has allowed us to build this ecosystem where creators can pick and choose the services that they want to use. And then the, mm-hmm. the, the services are competitively priced. And that could be everything from, you know, I've, I've designed a loungewear line. I would like someone to uh, fix my hang tags on every item and put it in my box, right? Something, something that's like super simple, but if you ordered a thousand units of something um, and you live in New York City, for example, oh, like I yeah. do, that, would, that would be a nightmare to try and like safety pin mm-hmm. hang tag. So you can then use our fulfillment services to say, look, we will receive it from your supplier anywhere in the world. We make sure it gets through customs. We'll Zoom you um, as soon as we get all the items and your hang tag that you order from the platform. We'll actually like take the safety pin and, and with you on Zoom, show you exactly how we're going to assemble a thousand pieces. For that, you're going to pay us, you know, um, like a quarter per item or something like that. And we can then, you don't have to pay for any more. It's not a subscription service. It's just like a one-time fee to bring your, you know, get your brand ready. And then if you want to do the next line in six months or six days, uh, you can just go through the process again and you can decide if the cost makes sense. And I think it's a really, really cool model because uh, what it allows us to do is it allows us as a company to innovate and bring down costs um, and like make processes very, very, very uh, optimal. Um, It allows us to work with suppliers to say, look, we need to like get this overseas. Can we bundle these like two production runs together? Or, you know, we want to do freight forwarding or we want to airship this from India or Turkey or wherever it may be. And the creator then just gets like, wow, the prices just keep going down. I'm never paying for something I'm not going to use. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's how we built out the business model. Um, and it started, it didn't start there. And now it's completely flexible, completely open-ended. And our job is to prove to the creator that these services are valuable and they're priced correctly. And, you know, they can, they can a la carte choose what they, what they like and what they don't like. Um, and it's a win-win for everyone. It's so funny. It's literally like some deep inside all of our brains or some psychological something that the minute we feel locked into something, we don't want it. And I found <laughs> the same thing at my day job. We got rid of annual commitments and like friction pre-sale just completely went, went out the window. Adoption rates are massive. And then what we're finding is people are staying over a year anyway. So why would we create so many hurdles up front? It just, yeah, everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. Right. And it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where like when you do it and you see the numbers go crazy, you kind of realize like, oh, how did it get to this state where like people think this is like the right way to yeah. um, like build a business model? And, and again, I think it really comes back down to every so often, people should like look at what's happening in the world or an industry and be like, how did it get to this point? Like, why is it so hard for every single brand to set up a commerce business? Yeah. Like, what? like who, who decided that someone should like fly around the world and find like a fulfillment center and a warehouse and like, you know, who decided they have to hire these massive operations teams to like plan out your inventory? I'm like, so, so we, we came at it through this fresh lens. And I think this was again, the first time that, when we were when we were like even showing this business model to to our shareholders right and we were rolling it out people were like this is crazy hmm. like what if someone <laughs> what if some, what they're like what if someone only has to spend you know two hundred dollars to launch their brand yeah and i was like i was like well if they only want to launch with like you know 50 units and like simple packaging um maybe we should allow them to do that <laughs> right yeah. it's like you don't need to lock them into like thousands oh of dollars of investment. yeah um, and again it's just like you need an outside i feel like i i get this like you know, it's fun for me because I could say like, I'm an outsider. I'm not in fashion. I'm not in like, you know, the consumer good scene. To me, it's just pretty simple. Like, I don't want to pay you this much money to do something when you're going to do it once. So how do we just make that reality? <laughs> and then luckily we have the, you know, resources and people and amazing team to, to test that out and, and do like a formalized version of it. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. And so from a supplier's perspective, what do those relationships look like and how have you built those and has it been hard to get them to agree to certain terms? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the hardest part about our, you know, partnership with our partners, we call them supplier partners. I could probably name all of them (laughs) Um, (laughs) is, is we know, again, this is like from personal experience and talking to my friends who have started this, which is like the whole world of a, of a supply chain and manufacturing 
is a like as if people want to admit it or not is like an old boys club um it's very hard to get any type of transparent you know pricing timelines just the trust is completely eroded in the industry Hmm. um and so what we have done from the start is we would say look we know it's the wild wild west out there but what we want to do is we want to not recreate you know, the wild, wild west by being like thousands of suppliers everywhere in the world automatically signing up, right? Instead, we're like, we're going to take a very intentional approach, which is we're going to pick the product categories. We're going to try try and find the best suppliers that we can. We're going to test every single one of them. Uh, if Even if that means putting a laptop into a factory in like the textile markets in Delhi, right? Like we literally will go to that length and then we'll train the supplier partners on the platform to say, this is exactly how you talk to people. This is exactly how you get a sample made. <laughs> this is exactly how you you know ship the sample directly to this person. And so we we invest so much of our time in just helping people that are you know suppliers all around the world. And we, you know, the big learning that I had is like, yeah, we have a very tight relationship with our with our suppliers. We don't let everyone on the platform, and they also appreciate it, right? Like mm-hmm. they want to work. Someone in Turkey wants to work with someone in Los Angeles. And we just haven't, you know, gotten to a mature enough point on the internet where that can be, that can happen. And so we want to step in and say, awesome, like both people usually have good intent. Um, How can we formalize the structure so both parties feel safe and, you know, the experiences make it so that it's easy enough to work with them, whether that's secure payments or, you know, all the way to, um, auto filled out customs forms so people don't have to worry about that. Um, just all the little things mm. that, that go with like working with these suppliers where at the end of the day, like suppliers want people to make awesome stuff with their factories, right? Totally. Uh, um, and the people in Los Angeles or Toronto or Chicago are sitting there being like, I would like to start the next, you know, watch brand mm. or soda line or candy company. I don't know, in any type of these, any one of these companies. Okay, and so just... our job is, yeah, our job is to just like formalize that and make it so that the experience between the creator and the supply partner is super seamless. Yeah, not to be minimized at all. We actually had a brand come on called The Alley Co. And the two founders during COVID, and I'm pretty sure one of them was either pregnant or just had a baby, literally flew to China to meet with their manufacturers because they just couldn't take the risk of having a bad relationship with the manufacturer because they totally controlled everything. And if like, you know, Lisa and Dahlia weren't on their shit, making sure that the relationship was good, they had no control over the quality of the product in the end. So I totally understand how that's valuable. And and think about it. We're in 2021. Think about what's happening. We literally have a CEO that's going to space for fun. Um, (laughs) And like, right. So we're like, so evolved. And then again, I'm like, this is one of those things where I would look at my friend and I'd be like, you have to do what during COVID? Uh, Right. To just, just, you're, you're like, you're a small business in America. It's the backbone of America. Like, don't you think America would have the infrastructure to like, have you not fly to a pandemic? Figure zone? it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, then, but then you realize like, and, and this is kind of the the underbelly of it. And, and Aaron now is in the company and can see it, which is like, this is what I like to call trench digging. We're like, we got to dig these trenches and we got to, we got to do this like messy work with hmm. suppliers and train them and they speak different languages. And, you know, we need technology to, to be like, how are we going to make it so that someone in a different language can still communicate with, with uh, their customers over, you know, uh, on the other side of the world and things that technology can help with, but someone has to go do that hard work. And I will be the first one to say, I think we got super lucky during the pandemic where it accelerated not only our like creators willingness to be like, I'm going to have to do everything online, but also suppliers willingness to say, oh, you know what? Like for the most part, people are not going to be flying to me. You know, for the most part, like they're not going to be negotiating with me over the phone at midnight, yeah. you know, last June. So like maybe I should go work with Pietra and they get all my pricing into like a structured, formalized way where there's no negotiation. And that's how I'm going to bring my business, you know, online. And, and yeah. so we got lucky that, that we were forced to live in that world for, you know, 14 months. 
I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was inevitable and that was like a bit of a forcing function, but yeah, I think this is the way it was always meant to head. You mentioned one thing just a second ago. You're like, well, we don't allow every single manufacturer to be part of our network, which I totally understand. Love that you're curating this list. Does the same thing apply to the influencers or the creators on the other end? Like, are there certain types of people you just know you can't support? <laughs> this is this is my second favorite question. My answer, <laughs> We're hitting all the my, good ones. <laughs> yeah, my my answer is no. And again, this is the theme like from for me, which is like, who are we as a company to tell someone that their idea is like not good or can't be done? I think that I, I think that we need to ne- never clip someone's wings if they have an idea, but we should build the guardrails and the experiences so that it naturally lends itself to weeding out the people who aren't serious or, you know, I come from the Uber world where it was all about balancing incentives. Right. And so there's a lot of like suppliers are worried that people are going to waste their time. How do you protect against that? And, you know, bringing my experience over from the Uber days, which is like, okay, let's design an incentive structure so that maybe it's as simple as a deposit before you talk to a supplier. Hmm. You know, it's like, maybe it's a small monetary deposit that you put down and, it doesn't have to change the game at all. It could be honestly as simple as 10 bucks. But you're, you're going to, that's a good example of something that's going to weed out the people who are just browsing and asking nonsensical questions. Yeah, totally. You know, in the same way, a cancellation fee at Uber um, that was just five bucks. It was like just enough to be annoying um, <laughs> would stop people from just like ordering and canceling at will, you know? And so we think of it from, from that perspective rather than I think a lot of the traditional influencer like economy is all about just like picking winners and we're like we're like we don't want to pick winners we think everyone could be a winner and you know uh there's so many analogs i think with any of these infrastructure companies whether it's shopify or squarespace where like they want to give you the tools to make an amazing website and they're not going to tell you that you your designs are are not great you know and so we don't tell people like you you shouldn't do this we're going to block you out of this we'll say something like you might want to work with the same supplier that worked with Kim Kardashian mm. and they have a minimum order size and like that might be your limit. Um, and so maybe this isn't the right supplier for you, but you see how it's done through like the experience itself and, and not, you know, with like a very explicit, you're too small to do this. It's like, yeah, if this is your price point, these are the suppliers that you can use, then they'll do, you know, minimum orders X, Y. Um, and when you get bigger, you can totally go and switch to these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's that's an issue not just within influencer marketing, but when in like D to C more broadly, you look at where venture capital dollars go, and it's literally like, yeah, if you can't show crazy success, and if you're not the type of entrepreneur who will work 23 hours a day, 365 days a year, you're not getting the funding. When it's like, well, there could be a ton of these other successful businesses that just never got their shot. Yeah, totally, and like, it's. I, I think like, again, I, I don't believe that consumers don't want to see more unique brands from people that have a story to tell and have and have an idea for something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uniqueness is always craved. And, and again, I think like the whole world around creators and influencers and brands and investment, all of this stuff is built around, let's just try and pick a winner. Like yeah. the whole infrastructure is around picking winners, right? And we're trying to flip that over and say, like, it's not about picking winners. Yeah, It's about giving as many opportunities as you can to someone and then allowing kind of the consumers to decide who's successful or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really depends on your model, though. If you if your model is like heavy, heavy investment up front before you start to actually see the return, then that isn't sustainable. So I guess my question for you is, do you make as Pietra, do you make the bulk of your revenue on new activations, collaborations or more on like the maintenance or the like scaling of existing brands? Uh, good question. I, I think it's actually pretty balanced uh, right oh, now really? for us, which is which is surprising. Yeah, I think um, you know there's there's a whole ecosystem and set of experiences around helping people um, start a brand, and because that process can take you know months, um, there's there's so many different things that they can do, which then drives transactions in our ecosystem, 
and eventually um, we will take some small percentage of, you know, if you go to our creative marketplace and like hire a logo designer, for example, um, we'll take a small percentage of that, just like any other marketplace would. Hmm. Um, and so again, we, we try and make it so that it's such, it's so fairly priced where like, we don't even bias ourselves into which ones we want or, and don't want. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like if we, if we built a system where we're like, we just want the people who are selling more to continue to sell more. Yeah. Then, then what would happen is we wouldn't, in, in essence, be picking winners, right? Totally. So being like, well, this person's big, so they should get more. And you can already see that, like, if you don't fight the good fight, it very quickly will turn into a system that favors the people with the most money. Oh um, yeah. Or the, or the biggest audience. Yeah. And if you know me, I'm 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 not about that life. <laughs> I think like <laughs> it's about access. It's about these breakouts, and it's about giving people, you know they're shot to, to be that. Um, ah. And yeah, so we, we are always tinkering and trying to balance it out, uh, which is in itself a fun, you know, math problem and operations problem in itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, one thing I've been hearing quite a bit is that a lot of creators are kind of reaching this state of burnout when it's like they're creating content every day. They're they don't get any days off. They're always in front of a camera. They always have to be on. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm curious, especially from you, Aaron, being in being a creator yourself, is what do you see the future of influencer marketing? Is it that you know eventually it will just become a place where you build a platform and then launch a product and then phase out of actually creating content? Or yeah, what are your thoughts? I think specifically we've been working with so many different people that, you know, each want to make such specific different brands. Um, I think it's really about finding the balance and something that I've heard a lot from them, like to keep it fun for them on their side as well. So mm -hmm. um, we were just working with a really cool person today who just wanted to make a product to give away to like her group of people that subscribe to her. So just like keeping it new and exciting for herself and then also for the people that are following her. I think I'm not like a influencer to say like that, like these people are, but it's a lot about that interpersonal relationship that you have with this like crazy amount of people who are following you. And I think Haley is a great example as well as, you know, maybe I don't want to do hauls every day. Like where do I go from here next? So I think it's about giving people access to kind of just a new option, you know, maybe just this straight on video content, is not going to be sustainable for your whole life. Like, where are you taking that? Where are you growing it? Are you making a coffee line or are you making joggers? Or are you doing a book? Or there's so many different ways I feel like that you could take it and kind of grow your passion and grow your niche to where mm -hmm. you can kind of have that audience grow with you. Um, and I think Pietro is an amazing way to do that, to get people to kind of re-engage. I feel like there is so much video and picture content out there that it gets a little stale and this is a way to kind of re-engage your audience and hopefully then engage yourself and get that um, entrepreneurial spirit back kind of into what you're doing again. Yeah, I would also add one thing, which is like, we should also remind ourselves that the platforms that content is being created and distributed on are not exactly artist or creator friendly. Right. It's like, hmm. it's like, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult to make a living just making digital content mm -hmm. or, or historically, I should say, which is actually why the rise of the creator economy and all its tools um, is, is so important because it's like, you, you can't just, it, or not that you can't, but it's very, very hard um, if you want to sustain, you know, a healthy lifestyle in a business just off ads revenues. Yeah. Right, or add, and, and so like, these are all just tools to say, look, we're going to live in a world where making a living online is normal. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we need to, we need to build the infrastructure around people who are going to earn their living online. And that isn't working, you know, the hardest, most hours, <laughs> uh, which I think content creation is, which is like lowest payout, highest, you know, effort to put in. I mean, these TikToks can take like three days to make. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, holy cow, this is like so wild to me. Mm -hmm. And they'll get a couple of pennies out of it, you know? And so this is like an example of of teaching kind of the next generation, I think, of like 
set yourselves up for success for the long term. Um, and these like long-term revenue generating opportunities or earnings opportunities through a business that, you know, you can, you can fully control. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like a viable future, you know, income uh, situation for, for a lot of these people. I want... Yeah. So you're not just at the mercy of the algorithm changing and then. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Kelsey, I cut you off there. No, it's, it's all good. It is super risky. Like we hear that from creators all the time that their Instagram gets hacked or they have a post that gets removed and it's like, they now no longer have a connection to their audience. So all of these other avenues like open up doors to communicate and it provides a lot of that safety. I want both of you to call your shots. We've seen a ton of creators move into like developing their own brands. What do you think the other avenues will be that open up when creators want to, to diversify from just creating content? Ooh, um, I've talked to so many awesome founders doing really cool things. I think, um, I think of it from from a somewhat of like a higher level where I think creators are themselves already, you know, the equivalent of like a mini enterprise or a small business. Yeah. Um, and so I think of it as content and ad and ads generated or revenue from ads and content will be one pillar yep. of a company's, you know, this the, a, let's call the creator a company. There'll be like content and money generated from ads. There'll also be content and then direct sales. So you can imagine someone like um, creating a course or selling right. Cameo, uh, selling is another good example of like digital content, but like directly you're paying the, the creator. Um, I think where Pietro will sit will be like commerce, physical commerce will be a huge portion. Uh, and, and a lot of people forget that like Many creators, if they're if they have both a content arm and a commerce arm, like a physical products commerce arm, usually the physical products dwarfs their earnings. Hmm. Right, so it ends up being like a huge, huge. Think about it, like as an artist, if you compare streaming royalties versus you know these successful merch drops that these yeah. creators are doing, <laughs> it's like they can make a lot more money very quickly through physical products. So I think there's, okay. yeah. So there's like third party content, which is like ads, which I think is on the way out. There's direct content sales, which I think is on the rise. There's, you know, commerce and what we're doing. Um, and then I think there's a whole new other category of, of innovation that's happening in, uh, I hate to be the one who says this, but like in the decentralized crypto space mm-hmm. where there's like collectibles, <laughs> there's like collect, and I'm not even going to use like the, the buzzwords. It's like, like there's You're collectibles. Trying. Yeah. I'm try- I'm, how do I explain this without, without like using a- three letters? How do we not do <laughs> <Yeah>. this? <laughs> Uh, my, my best example is I think it's like um, it's like collectibles and you know unique experiences that can be tied to your audience. Um, yeah. And, and collectibles is such an awesome thing to think about because it has a real world analog, which is like imagine a world where you can not only create content to promote something and drive ad sales from it, but that thing you're creating is you know a limited edition capsule collection for a physical product. And then for the people who didn't get the physical product, because you know it was like this big in real life activation, they can get the digital version of it as a collectible for you know some smaller smaller amount, and they can like <laughs> hold that online. And so like you can already see this world of these creators getting you know using technology to then build these mini companies, and inside the companies there's all these arms of of you know like business units, let's say. Totally. Um, and so that's how I think about it. I know that was like a bit of a rant and. I have to dig myself out of that hole by saying the word crypto on a podcast and said I would never do that. <laughs> well, mission accomplished. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Aaron, I hate to put you in the hot seat. I don't know how you're going to follow that. I feel like we're pretty much hit on almost everything. Do you think there'll be any other trends? No, Rose, steal all the answers. Um, <laughs> I think it's interesting to see like these influencers become kind of people's source of entertainment now like we used to have you know like the Kardashians and then we'd have you know like our one season tv shows and that play out and it's very interesting because I feel like these people kind of have to almost sell like access into their life is kind of like what people are technically paying Mm -hmm. for like on these different platforms which is very interesting and it's like we're gonna kind of see who becomes the Kardashians of this like influencer marketing era where they 
diversified so completely. If you like look at Kim, like she has what 18 different brands that are all into every single possible, uh, I don't know, type of product and also things Mm -hmm. online. And you have Courtney with Poosh and they're Mm -hmm. all really kind of invading different areas. So I think it's kind of just a diversification thing for these influencers to keep people excited about what they're doing. So as they grow, you know, it's interesting to like they have to build this brand around themselves and who they are and they're selling themselves. So being able to kind of enter as many possible venues as you can and being able to, I think, pivot as you continue to get older is going to be super important to, for them. So if they can make mm-hmm. um, digital content as well as different types of products, I think that's super important and being able to kind of take your personality and just adjust as the time period goes which I think is super interesting to like use Pietra and then other platforms too is like being able to grow have your audience grow with you and stay relevant um kind of throughout that but I kind of agree with Ro on just like the different aspects of physical digital products and then the mix of obviously ads and whatnot but I think now to stay relevant is really building that full circular brand around yourself as a piece of entertainment in a way. Yeah. I think one interesting thing that I'll add is like, I think people are becoming more aware that the thing you do to, to build your audience at the age of, let's say 18 or 23 Hmm. is not the same thing you need to do to keep that audience engaged at Mm -hmm. 33, you know, and we've now seen Instagram. It's like pretty mature. And yeah. so you see people who have been literally growing their audience for 10 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh yeah, you, like Aaron said, you got to adapt. You have to be, you know, you're not going to be able to take the same style photos beside a swimming pool forever. Yeah. Um, and so like, what do you do as you transition into another phase of your life, um, but still have this audience that's, you know, grown up with you. Yeah, they're both really good points. I, I have to I'm was literally debating if I should say this or not because it's gonna really expose what I do in my free time and this is gonna be really embarrassing. <laughs> but <laughs> I was watching Real Housewives. I know, I know. But oh, Denise oh. Richards oh, was talking <laughs> Denise Richards yeah, was talking you. about all this like these like racy photo shoots she used to do and how like she was like the hot girl when she was younger and now she's grown up she has kids and she's like mortified every single time someone like shows a picture of her when she was younger so i think you're you're absolutely right how do you guys feel about um like cross platform like if we took someone like denise richards and we put her on tiktok we have some people who like kill it and we have a lot of celebrities that are just so cringy when they try to like (laughs) adopt platforms that were not designed for them how do you guys feel about you know like pushing people to go onto different platforms just to stay kind of in the mainstream that's uh i think that's kind of where you find the stars like who who does it well is like who stays relevant there's like I mean, not to bring up the Kardashians or anyone like that, but they're the people that are really smart and are able to tackle that and know how they need to pivot. And then there are the people that are going to like fall off and you can't kind of mm-hmm. pivot into a new category. But that's why I think that importance of like, especially people now who are relevant and like TikTok is their world. I mean, even I feel way too old to be on TikTok, but it's like Same, they're going to have to find am. the next thing that's coming up. Oh, I know. But then they're going to have to pivot into the next thing too. So it's like, well, they still have this crazy fueled audience, especially TikTok with millions. Everyone has millions. Like they need to really have that forward thinking because I feel like people didn't think about that on Instagram. They weren't like, oh, Instagram's going to die. But there's like mm-hmm. always going to be the next thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think like... It's like people need to, I think personally, so I shouldn't speak on behalf of of creators and how they think, but um, like the game of content I feel is like, it's not evergreen in the sense of like, you know, like building a business, for example, I'm obviously biased, but like it's somewhat of an evergreen concept where if you do it correctly, it can grow, um, you know, independent of the whims of like, like, you know, the social network algorithms. And like, I, I always just come back to, like, it feels like even just during the pandemic, two massive social networks were created, right? Like TikTok like blew up in earnest 
Yeah. Um, but then also like Clubhouse was created. Yeah. Like, wow. I, just, I have to, right? Like the whole idea of creator economy was created. And I was like, yeah. you know what? Like what's going to happen is like, this is not going to stop. There's going to be innovation in different forms of content and like different viral platforms that pop up every couple of years, probably forever, right? Like just go back the last 10 years. There's still like, there's Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you know, it's Snapchat. like literally, yeah. yeah, Snapchat. Some of them die like Vine, some of them stay there. So I think like people are going to start, I think, understanding where it's not about necessarily like jumping from platform to platform and being like, you know, you have to now adapt to a new type of content. I think we see the most, the people that do that and are trying to become relevant on a new platform, I find are people who actually aren't even digitally native. Right. They're people who may have been mm. successful offline and now they're like, I must go online. And those people, I think, are inherently behind. If you talk to my little cousin, he's like, no, no, no. Like I'm on Twitch every day and my TV is YouTube and like I don't yeah. even know Instagram. I just use TikTok. And I'm like, oh, you just live in a different reality than me. Mm. <laughs> and and like you're not, tr- you know, it's like you're not bouncing from platform to platform trying to fit in. Like these 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 trends are going to happen. And your job as a creator is to you know, not be pulled in a hundred different directions. It's like set yourself up so you can be successful over 10 years, knowing that like, there's going to be another social network that comes up in two years that everyone uses. And we don't even know about it yet. And you have to be smart enough and and strategic enough uh, to think through like, what can you do as a creator who has a big audience on one platform to, you know, survive and thrive over the next, you know, 10 years or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's such an interesting point. And it is crazy, even just within like the generation below us, like my brother's 15 and it's the same thing. Like his experience online is so different than mine, which is, yeah, it's cool. And it'll be interesting to see where it all goes. Um, We are way over time. So we're going to stop taking your evening now, but we do have one question that we ask everyone that comes on. And that is, who do you think gets it? Ooh. It's Aaron, you want to go first? I don't, is that like just a general question? <laughs> yeah, like who inspires it? you? Um, yeah, and it honestly Ooh. puts everyone on the spot. So yeah, you Ooh, wouldn't be the first spot. person that would struggle to think <laughs> of an answer, surprisingly. One, <laughs> one take on it might be like, we bring guests on who we think have a cool model or, or who like really intimately know their customers. Like we just think that they get it. So maybe a, a spin on that could be like, someone that you've learned something from recently or someone that you're like modeling after or something like that hmm okay Aaron, do you want to go you can take this one yeah yeah i've been coming from like designing my own brand and kind of really playing around with that idea that something that really sticks with me about brands and um people who i think get it is finding something that's different because you make it different like you could be doing the same thing all the time, like Off-White or any of these people reinventing streetwear. It's just not about like reinventing the wheel specifically. It's taking your individual perspective and really staying true to that and putting it out there for people to get behind your authenticity. So I think that's something that I'm seeing a ton with new startups, um, like especially going to Pietra and all this, like people who really believe in what they're putting out there or their product or their mission um and watching how people rally behind that authenticity and that newness because those people really believe in it themselves yeah my 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 the person in my mind that just gets it is aaron aaron you just get it <laughs> oh my God, you, just it. you just you then you come work at Pietra yeah, and you yeah. get it we need more people like you yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh so heartwarming love it well Wait, you guys brownie points you guys this has been so fun i live this world literally every single day and i still learn so much every time i have these types of conversations you're both amazing thanks so much for coming on thank you for having us anytime thank you so much this is great Oh man, that was amazing. I said it in the episode, but I have to say it again. I work in this world and every single day I learn something new. Like, I don't know, maybe it's because the industry changes so fast or people just have their own interpretations of influencer marketing and and what it means to be an influencer. But I don't know. I loved it. And I think when Mm -hmm. Ro was talking about like 
the future of influencer marketing not being so linear. It's not like you just create a following and you produce content and you do brand collaborations. The future of influencer marketing is true like entrepreneurship where they could have you know, 15 different outlets or revenue streams that they use to basically like elongate the lifespan of being a creator. I just think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. And I also really loved that they touched on like, it's not about how much of a following you have that will indicate the success of launching your brand as a creator, but it's how engaged is your audience. And I think it's so true. It's also like really reassuring is like when you're trying to build, do it in a way that's authentic and just show up as yourself. And that's kind of your best bet at being successful. I think that's so cool. And I also think it's interesting because the more we're seeing, um, you know, Facebook ads and those sorts of things not work as well anymore. Now there's actually this space to just be authentic and tap into your own audience instead of having to like spend a bunch of money on Facebook ads that aren't really going to work. Yeah. It's really cool stuff. It is. It's like blowing up the blueprint that existed for the last like five to 10 years, which I think is really cool in itself. Me too. Me too. It's super interesting. And I think this space is just going to continue to expand and evolve. And I think the Pietro team is kind of going to be at the forefront of it because they're thinking about it in a way that actually like works better and is more of a win-win for everybody. Um, Yeah. They get it. it. They get it. They sure do. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, as per usual, give us a rating interview if you like our podcast, maybe subscribe and we will be back at you with another episode next week. See you then. Bye.